Step by step, Jesus has been drawing near to Jerusalem. And now, in Mark chapter 11, the Davidic king, the promised Messiah, enters his city where he finds his house wanting. All is not as it should be. And he gives his judgment there, the temple. Our text may be broken down in two parts. In verses 1 to 11, Jesus enters. This is the the time that has commonly been referred to as the triumphal entry of the king. The king comes to his city. Jesus enters. He looks around the temple and departs. Verses 1 to 11. And then in verses 12 through 19... Jesus enters a second time to deal with the hypocrisy that he found in the temple. In the midst of this, Jesus gives a sign that parallels his dealings with the temple. In verses 12 through 14, he reveals his judgment upon the unfruitfulness of those who trust in rituals and do not trust God or love Him in their hearts and do not show any concern for their neighbor. Read with me Mark chapter 11, verses 1 to 11, as we see our King coming into Jerusalem. Verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it. And we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, And others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. Those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything... As it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So Mark gives great detail here to the coming of Jesus as he draws near to Jerusalem and as he enters the city. In particular, he emphasizes Jesus' command about the cult. 
that he was to ride on. Verses 2 through 7 describe Jesus' command and its completion. A colt that was unridden was a fitting mount for a king. One that was unridden would be set apart for a sacred purpose. The king's mount was to be ridden by no one else. The Apostle John tells us that this is a fulfillment of prophecy. And he quotes Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, a prophecy foretelling that the true king would come on a colt, the foal of a donkey. But of this, Mark does not speak. He gives it to us in great detail, but he leaves the symbolism veiled. And I believe that he does so to show us that the significance was lost on those who were there. They understood something of Jesus. They honored their king. They laid cloak over the colt and laid cloaks and branches at his feet and they sang praises to God. But there was much they did not yet understand about his coming into his city. But Jesus enters to the singing of praises, the singing of Psalm 118. We read in verses 9 and 10 there, Hosanna, that is, Lord, save us. Blessed is he who comes in, in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David, they saw the kingdom was coming. They said, save us, Lord, Hosanna, in the highest places. The song they sang, Psalm 118, is a prayer for the Lord to bring salvation and it is a proclamation of the blessedness of the Messiah. It's a wonderful thing. As we see here, the glory of the King, His identity is unveiled. As He's proclaimed for a brief moment, the Son of David as he enters to shouts of blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. But in Jerusalem, the excitement surrounding Jesus' coming is short-lived. It comes quickly to an end. We read in verse 11, And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple, when he looked around at everything, he saw all that was going on there in that brief time that he was there. But as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. 
And there he stayed the night with them. Jesus looked around the temple and he left, waiting until the next day to respond to what he saw there. And what follows in verses 12 through 20 is a twofold sign of judgment. Judgment on what he found in the house of God. On the following day, verse 12, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now, if you jump ahead for a moment to verse 20, afterwards, the disciples see what happens to the tree. As they passed by in the morning, verse 20, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. By itself, this might seem a bit of an odd account. There's a tree that looks fruitful from a distance, but on closer look, it has nothing but leaves. Nothing to get too upset about, right? It's just a tree. I think that some people in our crazy world probably feel sorry for the tree in this account. <laughs> you know, poor tree, right? How could Jesus do that? But Jesus is very clearly making a prophetic point on his way to the temple. There is a reason that this account begins with the, the tree that morning and the next morning after all that has happened, we find out what happens to that tree. We also need to remember what happened in verse 11. Jesus has already seen what is going on in the temple before he comes in verse 15. And he deals with what he saw. And so this is intended as a sign by telling us it was not the season or the time for figs. Mark is alerting us to the fact this is not about the fig tree. Jesus knew it wasn't the time for figs. He's making a point by what he does here. He wants us to see, just as the fig tree was fruitless and was cursed, so it will be with the fruitlessness that he finds in the house of God. Indeed, as we continue on in chapter 12 and 13 of Mark's Gospel, we will see Jesus building upon what He has done here. He will tell in chapter 12 when He speaks a parable to the leaders, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, He will speak of the season. 
when those who had been given the vineyard ought to have given their fruit to the Lord, to their master, but instead they chose to kill the servants of God. Last of all, the son of the master. And so Jesus will continue to reveal to us his judgment upon the fruitless tree that is Israel. That is Israel that has not recognized their Lord, their king, but has rejected him. At this point, however, in verse 14, the disciples see this, but they're not quite sure what is going on. And the text moves on in verse 15 to tell us they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those that sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Jesus, as master, as king, disrupts all that is going on there. All the normal business of the temple that was going on at that time. With all of its corruption, with all of its outward piety. And he stops the activities that kept the temple functioning. If you don't have money changers, you don't have money going into the temple coffers. Sacrifices were on hold while the pigeon dealers tried to catch their pigeons. What does Jesus do this for? He does this purposefully. He doesn't do it. Ultimately, I believe he doesn't do it to stop what's going on permanently. He doesn't do it to cleanse everything. Because he says later that he's going to destroy it. He does it to make a point about the truth. He tells them the truth that God desires. Verse 17, he teaches them and says to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? This was God's intention. But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 56 verse 7. And he says, my house will be called the house of prayer for all nations. 
So it is today. Through Christ. That all nations might come before the Lord. Through faith in Him. Might pray to Him. Might know the Lord their God. But this is not so. At the temple. As Jesus found it. He goes on and he quotes Jeremiah 7 verse 11. But you have made it a den of robbers. Jesus quoting the word of the Lord. Declares that the temple has become a hideout. Where wicked men come for safekeeping. A refuge where sinners believed that they were safe. The previous verses in Jeremiah chapter 7, 7 verses 9 and 10, explain exactly how the temple would become a refuge for robbers. So it was in Jeremiah's day. So it was as Jesus found it. Jeremiah 7 verse 9. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, Make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you have not known. And then come and stand before me in this house that is called by my name and say, We are delivered only to go on doing all these abominations. The people of Israel, like their idolatrous forefathers, were treating the temple like a get out of jail free car. And do whatever we want so long as we come to the temple after and say, I'm delivered. Offer my sacrifice. Do these outward rituals. Not having a heart for God. Like Adam and Eve who covered their shame with fig leaves. They covered the filth of their sin with outward expressions of worship. But behind temple rituals and pious acts hid hearts of wickedness and idolatry. But they could not hide from the Lord. He could see their hearts. He saw the act that it was. Trusting in the temple. Trusting in prescribed sacrifices and rituals in the prescribed place of worship will not keep the sinner safe. There are many still today who trust in a temple, trust in rituals. Many, even of our own neighbors, do this. They don't understand as they look to the temple that they're trusting in fig leaves to keep them safe. It's nothing but leaves. They proclaim the name of God and speak of the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Just like Israel had. 
But they do not worship God as He has declared in His Word. Or acknowledge God as the one true God. The Creator from everlasting to everlasting. People don't need a temple to do that. To seek refuge somewhere other than the blood of Christ. To proclaim this or that. But to go about their lives with nothing changed. It's just an act. Fig leaves covering up the shame and the nakedness of sin. At the end of that day, Jesus left the city, verse 19, with his disciples. And they left behind them very angry religious authorities who were ready to destroy Jesus, whatever means they could. It's not as though they weren't already at that point, but it becomes very apparent in this last period of Jesus' life that He has made an enemy. And they plot to destroy their Master. But here's the thing. Already they have been judged. And found guilty. The tree. Is already cursed. The judgment may have been yet to come. But the verdict was given. Those. Who lead others towards a false hope in rituals. While they do not honor their God in their hearts, they will be judged. And more severely, we will come to this again in a month or so. Jesus will say of the scribes who walk about and look so good and say the right things, but do not care for widows. They're out to make a profit off of, off of other people. He says that they will receive the greater condemnation. And there are many today who are just like those men. On the outside, it looked so grand, so good, but all the while, they profited off of these rituals and sacrifices. They did not care what they did. 
to those people. Today, prosperity preachers promise blessings while they fleece the sheep. Christian speakers offer motivational speeches about how loved you are while ignoring God's plain teachings about homosexuality and all forms of sexual immorality. And don't talk about following Jesus or about being holy. But in doing so, they lead themselves and their hearers into the grave. They act as though what matters is the prayer you pray or the face you put on the outside when on the inside is what matters. When what God wants is a heart that is repentant and that believes in His Son. could talk of other examples. It's not that many years ago, Mr. Smith claimed the blessing of God for exploiting whatever girl he wanted to satisfy his lusts. Dare I go on? No matter what acts of piety you do, no matter what rituals you follow, if you do not have faith in God, you do not honor Christ as Lord, It's meaningless, and it will be judged. The king left, for he would not abide with wickedness. The judgment had been delivered, and it was final. It will be reiterated, but it is a done deal. But, the king will return again to Jerusalem. This is not his last visit to his city. And he will give up his life to these very wicked men in order to save some from his wrath on the day of judgment. He paid the price for sin and died in the place of his people so that whoever trusts in him will have life, eternal life, an everlasting safety kept from the just condemnation of God. For God shows His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore, 
we have now been justified by His blood. Much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Romans 5, verses 8-9. through 9. This is our only hope. This is the only hope that is offered by the Lord God to all people. It's through Jesus Christ. And there remains certainly a temptation for us as Christians to find security and safety in this or that tradition or ritual rather than in the Word of God, rather than in the Son of God. Brothers and sisters, you need to know that belonging to a particular church will not keep you safe on the day of God's wrath, nor will keeping traditions do you any good. You may follow all of the prescribed traditions and rituals in the prescribed ways, in the prescribed days, in the prescribed place. You can look pretty nice and be liked by all your neighbors. But religious trappings without a new heart, a heart of faith and love towards God are meaningless, fruitless, and provide no safety on the day of judgment. It's not the religious rituals that God cares about. It is your heart. And so it is that the prophet Jeremiah spoke of God giving His people a new heart, putting within them a new spirit. It is in this that our only hope lies. Because to this world to repent and believe in Him, Jesus Christ. Ritualism and the church will not keep you safe on Judgment Day. So watch that you do not find security in anything but Christ. Watch that you don't hide your sin behind religious practices. God told Israel, your sin will find you out. Numbers 32, 23. When Jesus came, He saw people hiding behind religious practices who didn't recognize Him as Lord. They wanted to come to a temple where they could get the slate washed clean and then live their lives whichever way they pleased. That's the way the religious leaders lived their lives and that's the way the people followed. But they missed their Lord, busy with buying and selling in the temple. And He brought judgment. When He comes again, His judgment is not going to be less severe for those who have missed Him. Only faith in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ 
can save you from the wrath to come. Not a temple or a ritual. No other sacrifice than Jesus' sacrifice will save. If you don't believe me, believe the words of God spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 17, 5 through 10, cast yourself upon him for mercy. Thus says the Lord Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. His heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and it is not anxious in the year of drought. For it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. You might be thinking, well, but I don't trust in a temple. And I'm not, I'm not like a Pharisee. But you cannot avoid this question. What would the Lord find if he came to his house today? What would he find in you who claim to be his child, to be his servant? Will He find you trusting in His righteousness? Will He find you worshiping Him in spirit that is from the heart and in truth that is according to how He has revealed Himself to us? Or would He find you trusting in your own righteousness, thinking you are free to do whatever you want so long as you go to church and offer God Lip service. Tell people I'm a Christian. When the king comes, he will judge all people. And he will destroy those who put their trust in anything other than himself. What will he find in your heart when he comes? 